When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Where did this ferocious determination out there today come from? The media. Everyone of them brought us up. This is Paper Talk. The Irish Examiner GAA Podcast. Hello there and welcome to Paper Talk, the Irish Examiner's GAA Championship Podcast. Well, where to begin after one of the most incredible championship weekends of this or indeed of any other season. Michael Moynihan was in Crow Park for the Irish Examiner for two epic All-Ireland Championship semi-finals, and we're still wondering if he has managed to catch his breath yet. Yeah, um, it's funny, we were coming out Saturday night, um, which was a fantastic game, and there was a, a sense that Sunday was going to be a letdown, I couldn't possibly live up to it, and I suppose there's an argument it could even have exceeded it, even on the scoreline, so, I mean, yeah, like talk with the gift that keeps on giving, it was, uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable weekend. Okay, let's start with uh, Saturday, we'll work sequentially, um... After about 15 minutes, it seemed all the pundits had it right that this was uh, going to be a stroll for Galway. Where and how did it change in Clare's favour? Yeah, I think I had a note in my notebook, something like, you know, a long evening ahead. Uh, but in fairness to Clare, you'd have to give them huge credit because they did change things around. There wasn't a question of letting things play out. They pulled Colin Galvin back to field. Um, I think there's a bit of debate as to whether he was technically a sweeper or not. But he showed up the defence, distributed the ball very well. Tony Kelly came deeper and got on the ball and pulled the strings a little bit. And they got into it. And a little bit like Limerick in the closing stages of the um, of the game yesterday. They didn't panic, which was the big thing. Even though they were nine points down, there was plenty of time. They didn't need a goal. They, they, they whittled it away and they showed huge composure. And as I say, you have to give huge credit to Dora Maloney and Jerry O'Connor for you know having the guts to make the change when it needed to be made. Tough question, Michael, but when is a sweeper not a sweeper? Yeah, you see, uh, this is <laughs> how many angels can you balance on the head of a pin? I think people usually see a sweeper as, say, a forward who's pulled back to create a spare man at the back. Whereas I think Galvin was basically just playing very deep as a midfielder. He wasn't technically speaking a spare man. He just retreated and left space for Tony Kelly to come back into at that stage, it's getting so technical and, you know, you were dealing with people's antipathy towards even using the word sweeper and holding. But, like, it was definitely a tactical readjustment that worked out very well for Clare. OK, in terms of Galway, all the talk before about how physically powerful they were and how the Kilkenny games had brought them on so much, but is there a question now about their strength and depth? Well, physically, I did think they... For long stretches, they did bully Clare to a certain extent, and they got a lot of scores from turnovers that you wouldn't expect really in the normal course of events, like Connor Whelan, you know, pushing defenders on, spill the ball for sidelines and frees, etc. To be fair, I would say if anything, it underlined their strength in that because they got a they got some joy off the events like said Jason Flynn came in and did very well, and they were able to you know withdraw Connor Cooney to no 
visible detriment. The only thing for them is now is that you know losing their centre back and their centre forward, and there's still a big question mark as to whether they'll be fit for this weekend. I mean, I don't think any team really in Ireland or in the history of Ireland could afford to be without Joe Canning and Garrod McInerney. He's been, you know, a lynch kind of defence for a while. So, you know, there's a big question mark about their competitiveness if they don't have the two of those guys ready for, for next weekend. Do you think it's uh, it's a difficult to ask to be out, uh, what, six, seven days later for the replay and then two weeks to an All-Ireland final? Or are you of the viewpoint... For the winners, at least, you're getting an extra game under your belt, plus the momentum, which we've seen has cost so many teams from a provincial to an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, I suppose in fairness, most managers, when they say, oh, it's good to play week on week or every two weeks or whatever, do throw in that proviso, so long as the players stay healthy. And, you know, we've spoken about McInerney and Canning Hope. You know, are they going to be okay? Michal Dunn, who was very cagey about that Saturday, obviously that was right afterwards. I would imagine, though, that Limerick are now at a huge advantage because they have an ideal break. They can let the players relax for a day or two, build it back up again. Whereas, you know, the winners next Sunday, even though, you know, they'll be delighted to be in the final, even at a psychological level, they know that their opponents have an extra week. They know that they're going to have to, you know, cram in their preparation to a little bit. It's not ideal because they probably had planned the strength and conditioning team for a three-week, a three-week tapering of the preparation. So whether it's whether it's a real disadvantage or not, I think the team would perceive it as a slight disadvantage, and that might be enough. Okay, now let's move to the game in Crow Park yesterday. Uh, another epic. Uh, I don't like banding around that word, but what else can you say about uh, about that performance by? Two incredible teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I turned to the man next to me with seven minutes to go and said, you know, there's no way Cork are going to lose this unless they leak a goal because um, Limerick aren't going to score seven minutes on the trot. And was reminded of that about nine minutes later. Um, oh, yeah, look, it was a fantastic game. I think because you couldn't really say either team really dominated for long periods, you know. Limerick had a bit of joy in the first half. Cork shaded probably in the middle of the second half, but because it was a because you didn't have that thing where a team goes ten points up and the other team gets a goal or two and comes back, etc. Because it was nip and tuck until the last ten minutes when Cork took that lead, it really kept it alive. And then you had that dramatic conclusion. And in fairness, you know you you have to give Patrick Cork in particular huge credit for the the levelling point. But I mean, once once you got to extra time, there was only one team in it. And you know Limerick deserve huge credit for their for their conditioning and for their spirit, all those all those good things which are cliches until you know you see it manifest in the flesh. I suppose. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask you about that, Mike. You know, when you say only one team in it, how, how much of that is down to age profile, the conditioning, and and the fact that you know there's there's eleven years of baggage as well too uh, with Limerick since the last All Ireland final, and what is it? 40, 45, 46 years since an All-Ireland final? I would, say, I would actually put it down maybe just to kind of a, a slight shift in the initiative. No, when I say shift, you know, Limerick taking the initiative. I think Cork wobbled a bit when Daniel Carney went on. There was probably a bit of uncertainty. Uh, there was a lot of players on. I'm not sure maybe if were, all their roles were clearly defined or if they knew their roles. But, you know, Limerick showed a really killer instinct to exploit that. And, even though even though Cork had leveled with them, you know, there was a sense in the ground that, you know, the tide was with Limerick 
and they really showed that in the second half. They also, like in fairness, you have to say they got a lot of they got a lot of joy from their bench. I think they got two goals and six points from the subs they brought on, which shows you know that the, the tide was with them at that stage. They were definitely coming coming hard, like conditioning. You know, you, you presume at that level the conditioning is pretty pretty equal. And Cork have shown like great finishing in, in, in all their games, but you know Limerick, you know had you know had the scent of blood that they went for the kill. In in terms, Michael, of uh, lessons that I suppose all GA teams can take, that old adage about goals win games, but you have to admire the way that Limerick, even though they were what six points down, never panicked. We're happy to take point for point for point, something we saw, and you mentioned there earlier in the Clare game as well, that, you know, how often do we see teams panicking and going for goals, chances going amiss, and you can see the confidence then ebbing out of them and the, the, the team that's ahead being boosted by those misses. Yeah, I would say that was probably, you know, after the game um, in Torles when... Limerick overcame Kilkenny in a kind of a similar way, even though you know the gap wasn't as big. We asked John Coyley if it was a watershed for the team. No, he wasn't buying it, but I'm sure deep down he would acknowledge that game, and particularly yesterday, is the kind of passage of play that gives a team about ten years worth of confidence because they can always look back any time they're facing down the last ten minutes and there are a few points uh, to the rear. They'll always say, "Well, look." We did it to Cork. We did it in another semi-final. We can do it here again. I mean, their their canvas was fantastic. Now, I suppose you know history is written by the winners. Like Cork hit the post with a point effort. Uh, Limerick went downfield, and I think it was Pat Ryan won a free. So that was a swing, and obviously Nicky Quaid unbelievable save um, on Seamus Harnedy. If Fabio Finn had popped that over the bar, we might be having a different conversation. But as a textbook, and how or not to panic, to trust that you're doing the right thing. And to, you know, take your points, you know, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed to, to be that last 10 minutes from Limerick. It was exemplary. Mm. A lot of questions, I presume, now for Cork, given getting to a semi-final last year against Watford and again running out of steam down the final stretch. And now this, admittedly a Munster Championship won, back-to-back, an incredible achievement. But how will 2018 be viewed uh, down in Cork? Oh, I think it's probably still too raw to take for Cork fans to take a step back and be objective about it. You know, it was it, it, like winning that monster title was a fantastic achievement. Because I say Cork were, were fairly low down the rankings, but you know, the issue one issue for Cork looking at it obviously is that they didn't have the same strength on the bench as um, as Limerick. They also took the fact that you know, taking it on their own, winning a monster title. And getting to extra time in an Ireland semi-final without probably your best man marker and Stephen McDonnell and your best forward and Alan Cadigan was a fair achievement. I think in the immediate term, Cork will look to get the two of those guys back for next year. There's a lot of positives under 21s are going well, and you know a lot of fellas showed up during the year and showed that you know last year wasn't a flash in the pan. But on its merits, you know you're six points up, seven minutes left. And if someone said to you at that stage to the Cork management and team, I'd say, you know, Limerick won't score a goal between here and now and the final whistle. I don't, you know, anyone would have would have turned that down as a as a deal. A, a, a lot of talk on social media about the two great games at the weekend, but there's also kind of a an anti element as well, talking about hurling snobbery, uh, blowing up the games and blowing up the individuals. 
Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I don't think there's anyone better than hurling snobs or hurling fans with this compulsion to always say, you know, there's no game like this. And you know what there is? It's for, I think everybody got that memo early on. You know what I mean? I don't think I don't think you constantly have to denigrate other sports or say, oh, you wouldn't get this in such a sport. Or, you know, these guys aren't getting paid. You know, I think, you know, we all got that message long ago. Like, enjoy the game and its merits. They were two fantastic games, but they were also two exceptional games. Not every hurling game is at that level either. And like, contrary to general belief, you know, there have been poor hurling games in the history of hurling. Okay, now want to move on to something uh, a bit close to your heart. Uh, program tonight airing on RT One Television at nine thirty-five PM. The game, the story of hurling. Uh, just, I suppose, we should point out at the at the outset, you were an editorial consultant on the project. For those that aren't aware, what is it all about? Well, basically, um, it's not it's not a history of hurling. It's a story of hurling. Uh, it's a three part documentary which kind of explores the themes and looks at the history of hurling, but not not hopefully in a this happened and that happened and this happened kind of way. We're trying to tease out what makes hurling special, and obviously you're leaning on past games and past players, but you know, it's trying to tie in, you know, how people feel about hurling now, their connection to the game, the clubs, um, you know, what it means to communities, etc. So it's it's a it takes a look at hurling, but it's not a history of hurling, if that makes sense. Um, it's a kind of a snapshot of as it is known, what has made it the game it is now. But if people are expecting a kind of an exhaustive list of all Ireland winners, that's not quite it. What it is is basically an examination of what what makes hurling special, and that's obviously goes without saying, without denigrating all of the you know tiddlywink aficionados and all the people who have all their own favourite sports. Um, I, I presume I can remember from the edit. I'm sure somebody says there's no game like hurling at some stage in the documentary. But um, but yeah, look, it's it was a labour law for a lot of people. Um, a lot of guys, uh, people gave their lives over to it really for the last year and a half. Uh, we started five years ago, and you know the feedback has been good among the few people who've seen it so far. So. Hopefully it'll go I've seen the trailer for it, Mike. Looks absolutely incredible. You might just explain uh, some of the film technology that was used for the production. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to a conversation a few years ago between Colonel Callan of RTE and John Murray, who's head of Crossing the Line uh, Company, which are very well known for their wildlife documentaries. They were nominated for Emmys last week on the back of Wild Ireland, which people may have seen. And the two lads' conversation really centred around, you know, what if we use that super slow motion nature camera work on a sport? And they felt hurling would be the sport that would repay that kind of uh, camera work because, you know, obviously a lot happens in a game of hurling that, you know, even if you're six feet away, you, you won't really see. So that was that was a driving force. They contacted me about um, getting involved in terms of who to speak to, uh, clubs and teams, etc. And um, we took it from there. But yeah, definitely one of the highlights I think people will take from episode two um, is the footage of Austin Gleason's goal against Cork last year. Because um, before that game, uh, the lads told me they had the special cameras. So what end to put them on? I suggested Hill 16. And as luck would have it, that was the end Austin soloed into for the goal. And the footage is, is absolutely fantastic, I have to say. Uh, the slow motion captures every bend of the hurling and every 
every facial expression of the players as leasing goes through you know I think it's going to be a particular highlight uh, You've mentioned here in the office Michael about the incredible buy-in from players past, present, managers etc uh, one of the ones we were talking about was Owen Kelly and, and just you know the point that he's hardly ever asked about hurling itself it's always about Tipperary Yeah it, it was interesting obviously <laughs> You know, in the business where in you're seeing these guys probably outside dressing rooms or at the odd gig, and this is very much you know how how will next week go? How did last week go? You know, you're talking to a manager outside the dressing room, and it's 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 housekeeping, uh, really. So I mean, to see someone like Owen Kelly or Brian Cody or Henry Shefflin sit down and after 20 minutes realize you know actually this is a conversation that isn't isn't going to fixate on on Ballyhale or, or, you know, tip search for a fullback, but it's actually going to go a lot deeper. It was, um, it was fantastic. And to be fair, you know, guys dug deep. There were tears. There was laughter. <laughs> there was everything. But it, it was it was very interesting to to get guys to articulate how they felt about something that has been second nature, part of their lives for so long. And, um, you know, it was it was rewarding to see how willing guys were to um, to examine their own their own feelings about that, yeah. Okay, the game, the story of hurling airs tonight, RT1 Television at 9.35pm. Our thanks to Michael Moynan for joining us on the podcast this Monday. And that's it for this edition of the Irish Examiner's GA Championship podcast, Paper Talk. Our thanks to uh, Michael Moynan and indeed to Larry Ryan who produced today's programme. We're back again, same time, same place. Next week we'll be looking back on the Clare Galway All-Ireland semi-final replay Plus, we will know the four teams who have qualified for the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship semi-final. So, plenty to look forward to there. Uh, don't forget, you can download the podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on irishexaminer.com forward slash paper talk. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,